The Holy Gospel according to Matthew in the 25th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master replied, you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, we have a fun slew of readings for this Sunday, don't we? Yeah, don't you just love a parable that ends in weeping and gnashing of teeth? How fun. Now, I happen to be someone who knows just a little bit about some weeping and gnashing of teeth lately, and I'm going to tell you something, but you have to promise not to judge me, okay? I'm not hearing a, we won't judge you, Pastor Molly. (laughs) Okay, we got another cat. Um, (laughs) so we now have four cats. Um, I said, don't judge me. Okay. We got this small kitten from our pastor friend, Alex Ross. And oh, she's so sweet and cute, um, and precious when she's sleeping. But when she is awake, she is a chaotic beast of war. Um, she runs around the house, conquering everything, um, kind of harassing the other cats without any fear of consequence whatsoever. And that's not very pleasing to our younger two cats, who meet her constant presence with growls and hisses, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, essentially. 
So when I read that today, I was like, oh, this is very fitting to have this parable with weeping and gnashing of teeth. But you might say what is not fitting is the punishment that the third slave seems to receive uh, being sent into the outer darkness. It seems a little harsh for not investing the master's money. So let's jump into our parable. First, we need to remember that this is the season of parables in the church here. Stories that are meant to teach us something about God, about Jesus, about the kingdom of God. And last week we heard about the wise and the foolish bridesmaids. And this week we have moved right on to another story of slaves and masters. In the story that Jesus is telling, he shares it with his disciples. And there are the three slaves who are given these talents. Now, a talent is a sum of money. It was about equal to about 15 years in wages. So that's a lot of money. Then the master leaves for quite a while. And when he comes back, the first two of the slaves have done something with the talents and offer more to the master than they were given. And they enter into the joy of the master. But the last one has buried it in the ground because he is afraid of what he perceives the master to be like. Now, a lot of the time, parables have been read as allegories. And this one has been read as an allegory for the gifts that God bestows upon you. Um, things like going out and making disciples, using your talents to the glory of God, um, the things that God bestows on you, encouraging you to make good use of your gifts. It is apparent within the text, if we read it that way, that the first two slaves do so, but the third does not. And that is the part that bothers me. You see, it's all fine, in my opinion, this interpretation, especially maybe when we think about it being placed near the end of the Gospels, when Jesus is addressing the disciples who will soon be without him and who will need to use their gifts to the glory of God once Jesus is gone. But if we think about it fully, <coughs> excuse me, it becomes a little bit problematic when we think about how the third slave encounters the master, or if we see it as an allegory, God. You see, he describes the master as harsh, greedy, unfair, someone who is very willing to punish and throw that slave into the outer darkness where there are weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to me, that's a very interesting depiction of God. Now, <clears throat> In my household, I have witnessed something interesting about my cats. My oldest cat is essentially unfazed by this kitten. She just kind of minds her own business. Um, occasionally, they'll play a little bit, but the kitten isn't a huge bother to her. And in turn, Maisel, my oldest cat, doesn't hiss or growl at her, and they live in general peace. But the two younger cats are deeply bothered. It's clear that they see her as this interloper, an aggressor, a competitor, an enemy. And in turn, the kitten is all the more curious about them, coming up to them. And 
they see that and it reinforces their cat idea that this kitten is trying to do battle with them. Now, the cats in my house share two very differing opinions about the kitten. And in turn, they both behave differently towards her. So here's a truth that I find interesting. The assumptions we often have about other people impact our own behavior towards them. Now, over the past few weeks, I have been reading with a small group, My Neighbor's Faith, stories of interreligious encounter growth and transformation. In one essay, a young woman who practices the Sikh religious tradition shares memories of her Christian high school friends. They all told her that she was certainly going to hell for not being a Christian. And then she recalls another interaction with a godmother who tried to coerce her into accepting Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior for fear of her burning in hell as well. She says that the anger at being condemned as this outsider really bubbles up inside of her. So that one day she leaves prayers at the Sikh house of worship and makes her way to the church knocking on the door, ready to confront the priest and demand an answer for why she is condemned. Instead of the priest, the organist opens the door, invites her in, and continues to practice. After a few minutes, the organist notices that she doesn't seem quite okay and asks her, are you all right? The young woman responds, how can there be an exclusivist God? She's asking, how can God condemn her to hell? The organist responds, I don't, I don't think that either. You know, I think there are many paths to God. It just doesn't make sense otherwise. Of course, some people don't agree. And in that moment, the author writes that she laughed with this joyful feeling in the presence of this organist, the battlefield had melted into the sanctuary. And what did the Messiah do? He did not send me to hell. He opened up a gateway to experience the oneness I had always craved. He took me to God. So if we are to allegorize this parable, we have to take into consideration how the third slave describes God. Because the God you believe in often becomes the God that is true in your life. Your belief impacts the way you behave. So if we choose to believe in a God figure that is like the one represented in the master, one that the third slave that has in mind one who is harsh, greedy, unfair, eager to punish, then it is likely that we will exist in the world in a way that reflects that. We will probably end up also being stingy, hiding what we have from others. We will not live in joy, but we will probably feel like we are in the outer darkness, cut off from each other. So I wonder, if this parable is an allegory, it is also a warning to us. 
It's a warning to us and to the disciples who are listening at the time. Because Jesus is going to die. He's going to be gone from their presence. And Jesus has been present as this representative of God embodied in the world. The disciples have come to know God through Jesus. But what happens when Jesus isn't present anymore physically? Will they continue to know who God is? Will they be able to share who God is? Because how we view God matters. It matters for how we behave in the world. So how do you view God? I was curious about that, so I took a little selection of people and asked them about it this week. Um, My first victims were my mom and my youngest nephew when they were here last week. I asked them how they view God. And my youngest nephew, Corin, got busy to work. He drew this picture of God, and God was this stick figure who had poofy, curly hair, just like him. Not, it wasn't me. It was him. And he gave it to me to look at, but then he goes, oh, wait, I'm not done yet. And he took it back, and he continued to draw some long, straight hair on this version of God as well. In turn, God became someone who represented him and who represented lots of different people as well. And then when I asked my mom, she described God as this cloud-like presence, without a face, but just present with her. Now, after hearing this, you might say, whoa there, Molly, your family sounds like a bunch of heretics. (laughs) Have you read the Bible? Don't you know that God is a man with a long beard in the sky? Duh, he's the father and none other. That is how he is described in the Bible. Well, you would partly be right to say that. The Bible is certainly full of he's and fathers. You're not wrong. But you'll find that in the wealth and the expansiveness of the Bible, God is also described in so many other ways as well. God is the figure in the burning bush to Moses. The prophet Isaiah describes God as a mother who comforts her child. God is a shield, rock, and stronghold in 2 Samuel. God is a lion and a leopard and a mother bear in Hosea. And then the Gospel of John describes God as the bread of life, a teacher, a good shepherd. And that's only the tip of the iceberg. Because there are such an abundance of words that describe God as well. Some of my favorite being slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And my mom's not wrong either, because the Israelites, when they were wandering around in the wilderness, they described God as a pillar of fire by day, by night, and a cloud by day. The truth is that God is far more expansive than we could ever imagine. God cannot be held by one image or description. But the descriptions we use for God do matter. And so after reading this parable, I do know that God is not greedy or harsh or eager to punish because that belief is how that poor third servant found himself in the outer darkness, cut off 
He seemed to have bought into an idea of the master that was based around fear, and so a fearful world is where he found himself. And so I really believe that this week our parable calls us to examine how we see God, who God is to us, and not just in ways that may seem a little superficial, like what type of hair God has or whether God's a man or a woman, but things that run deeper, like my God is generous, and that calls me to be generous, or my God is loving, and that calls me to be loving, or my God is full of forgiveness, and that calls me to forgive. So this week, I want you to contemplate Who is your God, and who does that call you to be? Amen.